Hello, and welcome to the High Street Community Church Podcast. We're so excited you're learning alongside us, and we pray this message leads you closer to the Lord and others. High Street Community Church is simply a family of friends following Jesus. God bless you as you listen. We're going to still be uh, basking in the Easter celebration um, all the way to Pentecost, the end of of May. Um, We're trying to learn um, and celebrate and and not just enjoy Easter, Christ's resurrection one day, but to continue to say, what can we learn? What is there? What's special about Christ's resurrection? What impact has it had on many lives and our lives, um, even through today? And so... um, and, and much like we, we heard this last week, the disciples, Jesus said, go stay in Jerusalem. Right after, you know, he you know, was crucified, resurrected, and then spent some time with them. He said, go stay in Jerusalem. And they were staying in the upper room. The first chapter of Acts talked about how they were really sheltering in place all the way until Pentecost. So they can stay in place for a while. We're staying in place for a while. And I'm sure that they were just... You know, I'm sure they were scared what happened here. They weren't foreseeing it, even though Jesus told them all the time that he was going to die, and getting them ready for expansive growth and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. So we're sort of in that similar season right now as we're sheltering in place. I think there's a lot we can learn and gain from them. We're continuing on in our series, Before and After, and that's where we just look at people. What were they like before they met the resurrected Christ, and then what were they like afterwards? And today, we're going to look at the life of Paul. And we don't have um, a ton of information other than he gives us. He looks back on his life. So we don't have real-time narrative of his life before meeting Christ. But we have a ton afterwards. And he does a great job of explaining all the ramifications of meeting and knowing Christ and walking with him. So we'll do that. And then I dressed up in a suit today as a visual aid to help us all understand what's going on here. And we'll get to that um, as I teach you um, Paul's life. The hope for today, my hope and really God's hope for you, is that you would learn more about yourself and ultimately you'd learn more about God. And we'll do that by looking at Paul's life, his before, and he actually has a big midlife crisis, I call it. So a before, midlife crisis, and after. We're going to look at that. We're going to certainly learn about him, but remember the goal is to say, God, I want to learn more about you and what desires you have for my life and what desires he has for your life. So that's the hope. And uh, I'd like to just open us in prayer with that on our minds and that on our hearts um, before we dive into the scripture. Let's pray. Father, you, um, you're so good to us. And I confess, um, I enjoy discovering more and more how you're good to us, but I also realize that there's so much I don't know and, and um, there's so much that you want to tell us if we would just listen. Quiet our hearts now, open our minds, open our eyes, again, so that we'd see ourselves for who we really are, and open our eyes to see, more importantly, who you are, and your desires for us, um, and all that you have planned for us, that if we would just say yes to you. Thank you that we have these tools. Um, Sometimes they're sporadic, and our mics cut out, or something goes wrong, but we're grateful that we can meet. I'm grateful that our church is gathered 
spread out. But it also brings to mind the thought that you made a promise to us, to all people, to all your followers, that you will never leave us, that you're with us always. Thank you. Be with us now as we read your word, um, look at Paul's life. Thank you for giving us that person, but also giving us the record of that person and the stories. Um, pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Okay, so last week had a lot of scripture. This week probably has even more because Paul wrote down so much of what his life was, what his life meant. He processed it really well. The Lord just really showed him the truth of what was going on. And then um, we can learn from that. So I will be teaching as much as I can to explain things, but the majority of what's going to be said this morning is just going to be me reading from Scripture and just saying a few words about it because Paul tells his before crisis and after story so well. So um, bust out your Bibles. We'll probably have most of these Scriptures um, on the screen, but it's always great to work through your Bibles yourselves and look at them um, later if you want to. So our first passage is in Philippians. It's a letter that Paul wrote to the church in Philippi. Philippians chapter 3, verses 4 and 6. And this describes his before story. It does such a great job. So um, Philippians chapter 3, verses 4 through 6. He's describing these things which he calls confidence in the flesh. So it's, I would say it's more of his outward attributes. Um, his desire and his lifestyle was one of a religious lifestyle. He did actions, but his heart was, uh, what we hear later, is pretty cold. So he's doing things that people can see, giving on appearances. Um, and he's realizing later in life that that was a waste. He writes, Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. So he's basically stating, and we'll, we'll see as I walk through this, that he's the top of the top for where he was um, living, born, and, and educated. He's like, he's, he's arrived. He's on the peak because of all these things. He was circumcised in the eighth day of the people of Israel. He's a Hebrew of Hebrew, a Jew of Jews, of the tribe of Benjamin, Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. He was born in Tarsus, um, likely from a wealthy family. He was a, a Roman citizen. He was uh, raised and trained in Jerusalem under Gamaliel. And so he's like graduated from Oxford, right? And he's in the right city at the right time with the right people, knowing everything right. So his outward religion... He's looking great and zealous for God. He thought he was really serving God by killing and imprisoning followers of Jesus. And I like to say, um, and probably he would say this too, if you just read a ton, he's got a ton of scripture, that he was wearing, I'll call it a suit of appearances. A suit of appearances. A suit is something that's on the outside. And, and yes, a couple weeks ago at Easter, we talked about putting on the new self. And I actually used the suit as an example of like, look at all these gifts that God gives us. But sometimes what we do is we put on the appearance of uh, godliness, and really it can be corrupt. And so Paul had that, and he was named Saul at this point in his life. Saul had all these external appearances, but his heart, he didn't know God. And so one of those things that he had on was a coat of birthright, a suit coat, a birthright. He was born of the tribe of Benjamin. He's born Jewish, in, and he's in Israel and in Jerusalem. And so he was something because of his birthright. He had the tie, choking tie, 
of Torah memorization. He memorized scripture. He knew a ton of it, and it was a duty and a religious task that he did, and he felt proud about it. He had the white shirt of righteous behavior. He said he was blameless. Um, I didn't know what to call the pants. I called them pants of permission. Can't see my pants here. Um, the pants of permission because you have to do everything according to the rule and ask permission to do so many things. So many things you can't do, so many things you can do. And then I call these the shoes of chasing perfection. Ha! Where's the camera? There it is. Whatever. Um, These are goofy names, but you get the picture is that Paul had this outward get-up that made him look good to his culture and maybe even felt good about himself, but there was something missing. He was really, you know, religion... Um, in, in, in mis, misused, misabused, misunderstood is just a hamster wheel. When I was growing up, we had hamsters, and it was a metal cage, and a metal wheel would keep us up all night. This hamster would just run on this wheel. It was good for the hamster because it's got to exercise, but it really wasn't going anywhere. And you're kind of like, can't you figure that out? You're just running in circles, and the wheel is going round and round. And that's what religion is. It's empty apart from something. What's the key missing part? Well, Paul tells us himself in that passage that I read, the next few verses now in Philippians 3, um, 7 and 8, it says, but whatever gain I had, he says, all that stuff, all that putting on these things counted as a loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. So any activities that we do, it's a waste of energy. It's a running on a hamster wheel if we don't know God. That's the key, is knowing Jesus. So when did Saul, Paul, when did he meet Jesus? That's when we get to his midlife crisis. Well documented. We're going to look at Acts chapter 26, but there's three different chapters in the Bible that tell his story, this crisis moment of meeting Jesus, and it's on the road to Damascus. So we're going to look at Acts chapter 26. Um, I will read some of that portion for us, and it's just a narrative. It's just a story, and Paul is actually before a king um, telling the story and before a governor. They want to know, like, you know, there's all this conflict between the Jews and the Christians, and they're saying, Paul's responsible for all this. What's, why is there a conflict? And Paul says, funny you should ask. I'll tell you why there's a, confident, a conflict. And he explains um, the time that Jesus met him on the road to Damascus. He was going to Damascus because he was going to get a bunch of Christians, throw them in jail, persecute them. And some of them would probably even be killed. So here's the retelling of his story. Verses 4 through 11 are the backstory of Paul telling these uh, rulers about his meeting Christ. It says, My manner of life from my youth, spent from the beginning among my own nation and in Jerusalem, so he's telling his life story, is known by all the Jews. Everybody knows where I'm from, is what he says. They had known for a long time, and if they were willing to testify... That according to the strictest party of our religion, I have lived as a Pharisee. So he's listing out his credentials again like, you know what? In my old way, in my before story, here's who I was. I was top of my class. And now I stand here on trial because of my hope in the promise made by God to our fathers, to which our 12 tribes hope to attain as they earnestly worship night and day. And for this hope, I'm accused by the Jews, O king. Why is it thought incredible by any of you that God raises the dead? He's pointing to the resurrection. I myself was convinced that I ought to do many things in opposing the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And I did so in Jerusalem. I not only locked up many of the saints in prison after receiving authority from the chief priests, 
But when they were put to death, I cast my vote against him. He's saying, I was the top of my class, and one of the things I did was I killed um, Christ followers and put them in prison. And I punished them often in all the synagogues and tried to make them blaspheme. And in raging fury against them, I persecuted them even to foreign cities. So he's, he's rolled out. He's like, I used to do this. My before life was this. I used to do all these things thinking he was doing something, you know, that would please God or earn God's favor. And then he tells the story of how he actually met Jesus, really how Jesus met him. Verse 12, in this connection... I journeyed to Damascus with the authority and commission of the chief priest. So he had all his papers and orders to get to do all this stuff. And at midday, O king, I saw on the way a light from heaven brighter than the sun that shone around me and those who journeyed with me. So this giant bright just blasting him in the face. And when we had all, key word here, fallen to the ground, I heard a voice saying to me in the Hebrew language, Saul. Saul, why are you persecuting me? It's hard for you to kick against the goads. So Paul falls down, and it's listed a bunch of times as he retells the story. And this is a real picture, the falling down of his death. Not his physical death, but his, his dying to himself and saying, you know what, this isn't working. I'm going to fall down. And then here's what Jesus says, verse 15. And I said, who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus who you are persecuting. Two verbs there, both in present tense. Jesus responds to Paul out of this bright light. Paul's like, who are you, Lord? He says, I am Jesus. So this is the resurrected Christ. And he says, you are persecuting me. He is persecuting Christ followers. Well, if you know, throughout Scripture, the church is called the body of Christ. And what a picture of Jesus saying, you're, he, didn't, he could have said, you're persecuting my followers. You're persecuting my church. But he gets right to the core of the issue. says, you're persecuting me. The body of Christ. The body of the church is the body of Christ on earth. Which, oh, if Jesus could be here. He is here in the church, in his followers. Present tense. And then Jesus gives them, he's, he's really their marching orders. But rise. So he's fallen down and Jesus commands him to rise down rises. It's really a neat picture. And stand up on your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to appoint you as a servant and witness to the things in which you have seen me and to those which I will appear to you, delivering you from your people and from the Gentiles to whom I am sending you, to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Cut to the chase. Paul, you're persecuting me. And then he says, get up. I'm giving you a new life, a new vocation, a new calling. You, I'm going to rescue you from your um, persecution that will come in the future. And I'm going to send you to the outsiders. You're an insider. You're an insider of insiders. I'm going to send you out to the rest of the world to tell the world, how much God loves them. That's his new job for the rest of his life. So he's telling this story to the king and the governor. And here's how he wraps it up. He says, therefore, O King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision, but it declared first to those in Damascus and then in Jerusalem and then throughout the region of Judea and also to the Gentiles that they should repent and turn to God, performing deeds in keeping with their repentance. So he's telling a story. Here's who I was before. 
I had this crisis in a good way with Jesus. He, he gave me a whole new life and a whole new job. And I've been doing it ever since. That's his afterlife. Paul gives us this picture, and it's throughout Scripture. There's so many um, wonderful tellings of this process of meeting the resurrected Christ, this before and after. But one of the things I like about what Paul has done in the Scriptures is that he doesn't just tell the story, but he makes sense of it. He explains it. He's processed it. He's, he's spent a lot of time, and God has revealed, this is what has happened in your life, and this is what's going on. So Paul, in Philippians, we'll be back in chapter 3, verses 7 to 16, he explains this process of what's going on in your head and your heart and your life and what it means and what's the value of it. So I'm going to read this passage, Philippians 3, 7 to 16, and I want you to just soak in it. I'm going to read it even a little bit slow because there's some golden truths that if we can get these, suddenly this whole Christian faith will make sense. And we'll see, oh, this is what it means to follow Christ. This is what it means to live in the Lord. So starting in verse 7, and just soak this in. But whatever gain I had, those outward appearances, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. So they're worthless. Indeed, I count everything as a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ. That's the bullseye, is to know Jesus personally as Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own. You see, that's what he had before, a righteousness of his own that comes from the law, but that comes from faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith that I may know him and get this, and the power of his resurrection. And I may share his sufferings, becoming like him in death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. And here's where it gets really helpful, I know, for me. Because I say, okay, I get it. I'm, I'm going to die to my old ways, receive the gift of Christ's righteousness, and then I'm going to live forward in a good, healthy, great life. Well, Paul gets realistic with us. Not that I've already obtained this or I'm already perfect. But I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider that I have made it my own. But one thing I do, Paul's going to make it real simple for us. Forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. Paul did a lot of bad things. Killed a lot of people, imprisoned people. He hurt Jesus Christ. Why are you persecuting me? He could have dwelt on that and felt terrible about it. But he said... I forget what's behind and I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that to you also. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. So the, the conclusion is what, what happened to Paul is to turn, literally turn. That's what repent is. Turn away from your old way and turn to God and enjoy him. Receive him. Receive the gift that he gives to us. Fall down, die to yourself, and rise up in God's power and follow Jesus. Pivotal event in Paul's life. Now this goes along with um, some things that Jesus said. And even I found a little passage in the book of Hebrews that's really helpful in this afterlife 
um, description. Jesus invites us, listen to this, and he's especially talking to people that are burdened down, that are carrying these heavy coats, these ties, these, well, you know, behaviors that they have to do, permissive things, and, and always striving for perfection. Jesus invites all of us. Listen to these words for you today. Some of my favorite scriptures. Jesus says, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden. If you're just finding yourself being religious, trying, trying to make life on your own. And he invites you this way. I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I'm gentle and lowly in heart. And you'll find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. In the book of Hebrews it says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside, or some, some scriptures say, take off, put off. Let's lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that's set before us. Lay aside this extra heavy baggage. Paul gives us specific words that we can um, be encouraged by, that we can hear today. So his words for us today are, out of Galatians, he wrote a letter to this church in Galatia, and there's, there's a couple things he says about freedom. And It's chapter 5, verse 1, and then verses 16 and 18. Listen to this. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery, to all this performance. Verse 16, but I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Be in relationship with God. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing things you want to do. But if you're led by the spirit, you're not under the law. So here's the reality. You get to take off this coat of birthright. And you don't have to wave it around, and it, especially if you weren't born into the right society, right family, right conditions. He says, you know what? You can just get rid of it. Take it off. You don't need it. And you don't need this. Ugh. You don't need this joke of better memorizing of scripture. You can take off the tie of memorizing the Torah. Scripture memorization in its own is good, but not if you're trying to earn brownie points. Ah, glad I got to take that off. And then this shirt of righteousness. The only righteousness that we get to claim is Christ's righteousness. We are not righteous enough, personally. So I'll take off this shirt of righteous behavior because I can't do it on my own. You ever try? Can't do it. And then, and this is rated um, G, I have board shorts underneath. I could take off these, what did I even call the pants? Something silly. And I can take off these shoes of chasing perfection. And I get to be myself. And if you know me, I like to wear board shorts and a t-shirt. I'm most comfortable. I'm most myself. And the invitation is in Ephesians chapter 2. This is, again, Paul wrote this. He said, and we're raised up with him and seated us with him. Back to the chair. I like it. We're raised up with Christ. We're raised up and we're seated with him. We're seated with Christ. And you can just re relax. He invites us to come to him and rest.
someone else finish this service. I'm just going to rest here in the Lord. Let me read verse 7. So that the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you've been saved through faith. So salvation is a gift. It's given to us. And you can be your, you come to God as yourself. Not all dressed up in outward appearances where you can earn God's love. This isn't of your own doing. It's a gift of God. Not a result of work so that no one could boast. Even Paul, top of his class, cannot boast that he has made it. That he's the one. You can't do it on your own. Paul is writing us. says, that's not the way it works. For we are his workmanship. He's made us. Created us in Christ Jesus. Not just to rest, though. The last verse here. He created us for good works, which God has prepared beforehand, that we should walk in them. And this is key. So we have to understand that we can't behave in such a way to earn God's love. That's a gift through Christ Jesus. But what we do get to do, we do get to take up his invitation to be servants, to serve. It's the best way to live. You don't serve. God's not opposed to um, effort. He's just opposed to earning, something Dallas Willard said. And then 1 Corinthians, here's the invitation that Paul spells out for us. He says in 1 Corinthians 9 verse 1, Am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord and are not you my workmanship in the Lord? So he's saying, hey, I'm free in the Lord and I've done these things for God. He says, but though I'm free from all, I have made myself a servant to all that I may win more of them. See, remember his job was to give the good news to the outsiders. To the Jews, I became as a Jew. So Paul, even though he's relaxed, I better put on my sandals of salvation here. <laughs> even though Paul is relaxed and free in Christ, he went back to his suit of birthright. And there were times when he spoke to crowds in Hebrew. And they're like, we'll listen to this guy. He's speaking in our language. And he used some of his credentials to further the good news, to tell people about the Lord. And so you can put on these things. He says, to the Jews I became a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law I became as one under the law, not, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. So to outsiders, and one thought I thought, you know what? I won't put this on, but I can be proud of being from Santa Cruz and connect with people from Santa Cruz because I'm one of them. And that's a bridge. So Paul is saying there's these different bridges. You could put on this coat of your birthright as a bridge. You could be from the community where you are. You know, you could even, one of the best bridges you can do is you can even um, align yourself with the winner. And you could, you could be a fan of one of the greatest teams of all time, the Dodgers, and you say, I'm with the winners, and I can connect with other winners. I have to confess I got a, a message from the Bormans this week that said, hey, you know, the Giants have been undefeated, and it's already the end of April. And the Dodgers um, are winless and it just killed me. I thought, those guys are so funny. But I had to wear a Dodger hat. Go Dodgers. I don't renounce the Dodgers anymore. I did that a couple weeks ago. <laughs> Whatever. Just having fun with you guys. Because Paul is saying here, um, to the weak I became weak. Uh, I guess I have to become a Giants fan. That I might win the weak. I'm sorry. I have become all things to all people 
that by all means I might save some. I do it for the sake of the gospel that I may share with them in its blessings. Do you get the point there? I mean, I'm making fun, but here's the deal. Paul is saying, I'll do whatever it takes. I'll pull out from my background. I'll pull into common interests. We all have the opportunities. So the question is, what has God put in your life, either in your past or your present, in your passions, in your interests, that you can connect with people? Paul is wanting a connection, a bridge, a common ground to then share the good news of Jesus Christ. And that we get to rest in him. We, get, we are seated in Christ. But then he invites us to say, hey, fish for people. Fish for people. So that's um, the invitation of Jesus. That's the invitation we get in Hebrews. The, uh, the opportunity to just become all things to all people is there. And the bottom line is this. This is what we learn from Paul's story, is God wants you. He interrupted Paul's life totally, you know, probably some of his desires were good, but he was going the wrong direction. He was actually hurting Christ. And God loves you enough that he'll interrupt your life. He'll take any means possible to get your attention to say, I love you. The best thing for you is to follow me. That's the invitation. He just wants you to know him, and he wants you to follow him, your creator. He wants you to be free. He wants you, and we learned about how following Christ, following him means there's going to be seasons of mending where he's healing you, he's teaching you, he's equipping you, and then there's seasons of fishing where your passion is just to tell other people by words and by deeds how much God loves them. And then I found a little video from a pastor down in San Diego that talks about some of the things that we shouldn't do and just gives a great, I just thought this is the best way to, to end this, this message um, this morning. So go ahead and watch this uh, little video from Miles McPherson down in San Diego. I want to talk to all the Christians right now. If you're not a Christian, just listen, please, because you're going to really appreciate this. If you're, if you're a Christian, God did not send Jesus to condemn the world, so neither should you. Stop condemning people. Stop loving people. If Jesus didn't come to condemn, who do we think we should be that we can condemn people? Speak love to people. Speak life over people. And so for now, for the non-Christians, guess what? God loves you. He wants so bad to have a relationship with you, and it ain't going to change. Now, does that mean he approves of everything you do? Nope. Does that mean that you can do whatever you want and die, and then you're going to go to heaven? Nope. Remember it said, if you believe in him. So we're going to get to that in a few minutes. If you say, Lord Jesus, I surrender my life to you, and by faith I'm giving my life to you, boom. Now you have a relationship with him. Now you have everlasting life. And now you can walk with him every day and have abundant life here. Good words. That's the invitation. If you're a follower of Christ, love people. Jesus didn't come to condemn. We're not to do that. If you don't know Christ, there's the invitation is that he is offering you life. The resurrected Christ can put to death your old ways and offer you life, not just now, but eternally. Let's pray. God, I, um, I'm challenged and encouraged by the prayer that Frank sent to us by Henry Nouwen. Can you read this one more time? Heal me, O Lord, to let my old self die, 
to let die the thousand big and small ways in which I am still building up my false self and trying to cling to my false desires. Let me be reborn in you and see through you the world the right way so that all my actions, words, and thoughts can be like a hymn of praise to you. I need your loving grace to travel on this hard road that leads to death of my old self and to new life in and from you. I know and I trust that this is the road to freedom. Amen. Thank you for listening to the High Street Community Church weekly message. We hope you were encouraged to follow Jesus. For more, please subscribe to our podcast or visit us online at hscchurch.org.